Genesis 32, 22 through 32 says, The same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. A man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. He said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with man and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Penel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose up, up, rose up upon him as he passed Penel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, this day the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on his hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of his thigh. I just said, let's pray one more time. Lord God, I just pray right now, God. God, that your word would go forth, God, you would touch my mouth and my heart, God, that there would be no distraction, God. I pray that your word will fall on good ground, oh God. I pray right now, God, the miracle working God would step into this room. God, and you would do a work in our hearts, God. We would never be the same, God. We would walk different, that we would think different, God, and we would hunger for you in a different way. God, I pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. You may be seated if you would like. Or you can stand with me. It's up to you. On the very onset of this message, I've got to lay out a foundation for you. And I've got to remind you of who God is. God is absolutely good. He is love. Look at John 3.16. He is infinite. Look at 1 Kings 8 and 27. He's all power, all knowing. He is Yahweh. He's Emmanuel. He's wonderful counselor. He's the author of salvation. He is the bright and morning star. He is the door of the sheep. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He is the prince of peace, the light of the world, easily touched, all-sufficient, rich in mercy, and he is our bridegroom, and yes, he is coming again. Can I tell you that everything that God is, it's amazing, but I've got to remind us tonight of who we are. We are loved by God. We are forgiven. We are redeemed from the hands of the enemy. We're saved by grace, healed by his stripes, free from fear, heirs of eternal life, his workmanship created in Christ Jesus, pressing on to the high calling. We're fighting the good fight of faith. We're filled with his spirit, and we're kings and priests, believing God's work and definitely looking. We're definitely looking for his soon return. 1 Thessalonians 4, 15 and 18 says, for this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, 
that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall deliver from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Whoever, wherefore, comfort one another with these words. So tonight I'm leaving you with a little bit of comfort. At the very onset of this message, to remind you of who God is and to remind you of who we are and to remind you of where we're going. We're going to a place called heaven where there's going to be no more tears, no more sorrows, no more pain. There is a hope set before us. And I had to do that to keep you encouraged because I might disappoint you a little bit in this message. There is no doubt that his ways are beyond us. His ways leave us mystified, and sometimes, honestly, we are left in situations that make us look for his goodness. He can some, how can something so good come out of this? How many of you have been in a situation where you say, God, what good is this? How can good come out of this situation? I just don't know what he's doing. And we are forced to either draw from the truth of what we know or lean to the sting of our heart and pull away from God. How many of you have seen people who... Or they're all on fire for God, and they're living for God, and something happens. And the choice is made, am I going to lean to my understanding? Am I going to lean on the rock, Christ Jesus? For he is always good. Understanding him is not a secret, but it's plainly shown in Scripture. As humanity cycles through time, a pattern of his infinite ways are shown. Through prophecies and the cycle of his people points us to the hope that he is still in control. We draw knowledge of salvation of the plan of God that God gave Moses, the tabernacle plan, that shows us the requirement of sacrifice, cleansing, taking of our daily bread, seeing the light from the golden candlesticks that light our path, and the importance of worship and incense that burn before God. And finally, we can reach the holy of holies, being filled with his spirit, finding his perfect forgiveness on the mercy seat. This is where we draw authority and wisdom. This directly reflects in baptism and the washing away of sins, and being filled with the Spirit and walking daily with Him. It's a pattern. It was spelled out bef before time. God has patterns that He operates in. Uh, the cycle of humanity keeps playing out. This is kind of how humanity works. Is people honor God, then they fall away, and God redeems them. Yes, it's happening right before our eyes. Our world is a modern-day Sodom and Gomorrah, killing babies, distorting men and women, and God's covenant design for marriage. There is sin everywhere, to surpass as the, but to no surprise, as the Bible would tell us in the last day, it will be as in the days of Noah. Society pulls further away, and we look back to see the cycle. He will redeem us, and this time, I look to the great harvest, and I look to the rapture of the church. You see, our God is so big, we can't contain him, yet so loving that we can feel him. He allows life to touch us, yet he comforts us through the sting of life. He is the lion, and he is the lamb, and he is absolutely good. I wish somebody would say that. He is absolutely good. He's absolutely good. See, out of all the animals to pick God's identity, he picks the lion, and he picks the lamb. Lions are majestic. They are power. Their nature can be felt as they roar, as they stare at you in the eyes with that, with that I dare you, look at me. You ever been at the zoo and you see that lion? I am not trying to get in the wilderness with a lion. 
No, not me. They are the king of the jungle, and they live as such. I dare you to poke a lion. I dare you to walk in his territory and break his laws. You will be ate for supper. Yet we come to God and we refuse his ways. We turn to our old lives. We refuse to live the way that he requires us to live. We fail to believe in the lion. We can deal with sheep. Sheep are quiet. I even have a couple of goats, and they're, they're not that bad. It's like dealing with my kids. Like, you love them, they're so cute, and then they just do something bad, and you just love them some more. I mean, but we can deal with sheep. Sheep are quiet. They're timid. They're gentle. You know, Jesus on the cross and forgiveness, that's kind of the message that the world wants to hear. Everybody's forgiven. You can live how you want to. You can keep doing what you're doing. There's no rules. Just come as you are. Yes, this is true, because mercy and grace. But there is, a, there is a line that demands a change, that demands us to walk in faith, to walk different, to hold on with all we have to his word and never fold, to never wave the white flag of surrender, to take, to take a stand and receive the harvest, to cast out evil and bring in the light. The lamb requires us to nurture the sheep, love the broken and give hope to the hopeless. And I believe as a church, we're really good with the lamb but we're not really good with the lion. Lions are not safe, but they are good. I must say that God is good, but you're never going to believe this. He's not safe. He's not safe. Proverbs tells us the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The children of Israel firsthandly witnessed the lion at work. They saw the effects of the plagues they experienced in Egypt. They heard the screams of parents that lost their firstborn as a death angel passed over the homes of the Egyptians. Yet the Israels, the Israel got to keep their children because they had the blood of the lamb over the doorpost. They saw the lion split the Red Sea and deliver them from slave to free man in a moment's time. As they would peer back over the shoulders, they would see the lion engulf their enemies in the water. Weeks later, they would see Moses walk up a smoke-filled mountain and they would tremble as shots of lightning, peals of thunder, and loud trumpets blasted. But something misfired in their minds. What happened to them? Israel would repeat the same forgetfulness as Israel would come close to God and they would fall away. What happened? After seeing the great deliverance that they saw and seeing the Red Sea split, I know in my own life I've looked at the Israelites and said, y'all are retarded. What is wrong with y'all? Like, you see the greatest miracle known to man at this point, and you still can't grasp that God is good. Much like some of us, we have encountered things that get hard and we stop believing. I'm here tonight to beg and to plead and to speak, to believe and hold on to the lion and hold on to the lamb. What was missing in the Israelites? Why are they... Why, after seeing what they saw, why did they not believe? C.S. Lewis answers this in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Mr. Beaver tells Susan, maybe I should talk British on this part. Mr. Beaver. Mr. Beaver tells us, Susan, that Aslan, the ruler of Narnia, is a great lion. Susan is surprised since she has assumed Aslan was a man. She then tells Mr. Beaver, I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion, she asked Mr. Beaver if Aslan is safe, to which Mr. Beaver replies, safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he is good. He is the king. 
The Israelites were intimidated, acquainted with the concept of God, not the Israelites were intimately acquainted with the concept of God not being safe, but they didn't believe he was good. The root of their unbelief and our unbelief is a lack of trust in God's goodness. Israel believed that their way was better than God's way, that their own sense of goodness was better than God's goodness. The other nations surrounding Israel handcrafted their gods of their own who were not perceived as safe. They feared punishment from their gods, so they made sacrifices and followed strict rules and traditions. But the God of Israel, the true God, was not looking for this type of fear, but a fear birthed out of the knowledge of his character. God is big, scary, and powerful, but unlike the other gods of the nations, this God is also lowly, humble, and compassionate, loving, forbearing, and personal. The Israelites were meant to fear their God differently than other nations. They had to believe he was good. I wonder tonight, do you believe that God is good? Do you believe in every situation that you've been through? And I know that there's some situations that, that people have been through in here I cannot comprehend. I couldn't imagine losing one of my loved ones. I couldn't imagine having cancer. I mean, just, just last month, my wife, we thought she might have had cancer. And I, just the weight of that, I couldn't imagine actually feeling the sting of the words that you have cancer. You're faced with death. You're faced with things. But when we're faced with those things, do we know that our God is good? Do we have the foundation to know that he is the lion and he is the lamb? We have to believe. His ways require faith, and faith is not safe. Stepping out of a boat onto crashing waves, it's not safe. Showing your withered hand is not safe. Quitting your job to pursue ministry is not safe. And I can promise you, if I did it, my father-in-law would be hitting me in the head. Because he don't want to have to pay for all them kids. But holding on when you've lost a loved one, it's not safe. It hurts. It hurts to see your children falling away. And yet again, you fall on your knees and pray one more time for their deliverance. It's not safe, church. It's not safe, but I promise you the reward in the end, it's going to be worth it. It's not safe to hold on to a living God, but it will change you. It will change you. If you're into lions, which I got big into lions about couple months ago I saw I was watching lions on YouTube and I learned a lot about prides and when the older males became weak the younger males from other bloodlines would come in and take over the pride and it's really something gory to watch because they would come in and they start killing all the bloodline they take on the, the older male they kill him then they kill all his children it, and then they they take over and they're kings they take their women the spoils New pride to start a new bloodline. The enemy of our soul is also compared to a lion. The enemy has come to steal, kill, and destroy. A lion takes what he wants. He does whatever he needs to get what he wants. As a lion, God comes to take your pain. He's come to take your addiction. He's come to take authority over the enemy in your life. He's come to take out the old pride and bring in a new pride and a new reign. He's going to kill all the things, all the things that you've, you've haven't had in your life, and he's going to give you something new. He's going to give you a new life. See, the lion in Jesus cast out the demons whenever he saw legion. But the lamb in Jesus put legion in his right mind and clothed him. You see, 
It's the lion that would rebuke Peter and said, get thee behind me, Satan. And it's the lamb that would say, upon this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. It's the lamb of God that gives us strength and grace. But it's the lion of God that tears away the things that's going to harm us. And he protects us. The lamb has come to give life and life more abundantly. And the lion has come to take. The perfect balance between the two is what we need in our life. We need the pain to be taken away, but the lamb is the one that gives beauty for pain. We need the lion to say, you can't have that attitude and be my reflection. And we need the lamb to give us the fruit of the spirit that helps change our life. We've got to have a perfect balance. And I think it's kind of ironic that, that he can be the lion and our, and our enemy is also considered the lion. See, the enemy's come to take, but God has come to give. The enemy's come to steal your peace and, and your patience and everything that God's given you, but God's come to give and restore. Now we're back to Jacob. Now we're back to my title. It's Dislocated on Purpose. And if you're wondering how I'm going to tie this together, I have no idea. But I had to do what God told me to do. But he's the God of Jacob, the God of the struggler. He's the God who loves us no matter what. He's reckless. He's not safe. But he has the best intentions for us. Jacob's life has been anything but fair. I wish life was fair. I really do. There's things that happen in people's life. I wish I could take away the pain. I wish I could step in and stop the storm. But there's something about life. Life, it's not fair. Absolutely not fair. Rick Warren, Rick Warren says it the best. He says, life is not fair, but one day God's going to settle the score. He's going to right the wrongs. So who can get better justice, you or God? Jacob's life was struggle from the beginning. Born fighting, grew up fighting, deceiving, and running. Working 14 years for a woman after being tricked by his uncle. It wasn't fair. You know what the meaning of fair means? It's free from discrimination, dishonesty, dishonesty just and impartial. For Jacob, he was second born, meaning he wouldn't get his father's blessing. The dude was a twin, too. You second born. I mean, it's just not fair. How is it fair that, how is it fair that he can't just get like 50-50? Like, he can get some, I can get some, we're good. That's fair. That's not how God works. That's not how life works. Something's got to happen. You see, Jacob was a man that would find a way to hold on, to wrestle, and to never, never, ever Give up. Jacob finds himself on the way back to his land that God promised him. You see, Jacob was gone working for 14 years, and God calls him back to this promised land. He calls him back to make things right with his brother. And I'm telling you, Jacob is just, it just wasn't fair. But God's telling him to come back and to make things right. He finds himself alone, as our opening scripture talked about. Jacob, he says, look, everyone get away. I got to pray, I got to seek God because I'm about to face Esau and I done took everything from him, I lied to him and this ain't good. Like, I'm probably going to die. So what I need y'all to do is get away from me. <laughs> you ever been in that situation like, I just got to be alone for just one second. I got to find God in this situation. So that's what he does. He gets alone with God. And this is where he faces the fight of his life. This is where he has to hold on. And this is where he finds out that God is not safe. The book of Hosea is a picture of how Israel started loving other gods. The prophet Hosea was told 
by God to marry a whore, and she would have his children. After having his children, she would return to her whoring ways, and the prophet would buy her back. And this was a symbol of how really the church is today, and some of us are alive. We, we fall, and we get back, but there's always redemption and grace. But Hosea 2, 14 through 15 says, Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. And there I will give her her vineyards and make the valley of Accor a door of hope. Does anybody need a door of hope tonight? Does anybody need hope tonight? And there she shall answer as in the day of her youth and at this time when she came out of the land of Egypt. You see, sometimes God has to get us alone. He's got to get us in the wilderness. And this is where Jacob begins to wrestle along with God. All night he wrestled, and somehow he would not let go. He would not be left with a dislocated hip. He would be left with a dislocated hip and a name change. For Israel forever, the father of the greatest nation known to man, God's nation and God's people. Why? Because he pulled close to God. And he got into some alone time with God. And he would never, ever let go of God. What is the valley of Kor? And what is a door of hope? A Kor is first mentioned as a place of judgment. Joshua 7 begins to tell us that, the, that Israel had been unfaithful to God because someone in their midst, Achan, had helped himself to some of the devoted things. After Israel's amazing victory against Jericho, they had sent a similar force to conquer the small city of Ai. Israel had lost the battle badly. Joshua 7, 4 through 5. And when Joshua incurred the Lord, he made it clear that the actions of Achan and his family were the reason for this calamity. The place of their death was to be known as the Valley of Kor. And what, what does a Kor mean? A Kor means muddy, it means trouble, it means gloomy, and it means dejected. So what the prophet Hosea is saying that in the midst of my trouble, in the midst of my cloudy situation, in the midst of my greatest failure, God's going to place a door right there where I fell, right there where the world fell apart, and I'm going to step into hope. I'm going to step in. I'm going to step out of the cloudy thing. I'm going to step out of the thing that held me down. I'm going to step out of my defeat, and I'm going to walk through a door of hope. And that's what I've come Part of what I've come to tell you tonight, that there is a door of hope that is placed before you and your family. And are you going to walk through it? Are you going to take the step to say, you know what, God, I'm not going to let my past hold me back. I'm not going to let my failure hold me back. But, God, I'm going to walk and through the door of hope. I'm going to let God turn my mess up and my, my turmoil and my problem into my hope. Isaiah 65 and 10 says, Sharon shall become a pastor for flocks in the valley of Accor, a place for herds to lie down. For my people who have sought me. Where's the answer? It's seeking God. If you want to get back up from the greatest fall of your life, seek God. If you want to see God do something in your family and work miracle, fall on your face and seek God and hold on and let God change you. If you feel alone, forgotten, put on a shelf, or walking through a wilderness, this is a sign that God is not done with you. It's a time to wrestle and pull close to him. Jacob found himself here, and it led him to a door of hope. Uh, Hosea 12, 2 and 6 says, The Lord had an indictment, indictment against Judah, and will punish Jacob according to his ways, and will repay him according to his deeds. In the womb he took his brother by the hill, and in his manhood he strove with God. He strove with the angel and prevailed. 
He wept and sought his favor. He met God at Bethel, and God spoke with us. The Lord, the God of hosts, the Lord in his memorial name. So you, by the help of your God, return. Hold fast to love and justice and wait continually for the Lord. I've got some direction for you. Wait continually for the Lord. Wait with all your might. Wait with all that you have. Wrestle until God moves in your life. Fight until God shows up. Fight until things change. Hold on to God. Hold on to the word. And the more I studied, I had to wonder, like, why did the hip? Why did God choose the hip out of, out of the 360 joints in the human body? Like, you couldn't choose a finger? Like, why does it got to hurt so bad? Like, why the hip, God? Why you got to? I almost named this message the hip-hop, the God of hip-hop, but I couldn't do it. It's good stuff. I'm a stand-up comedian on the side. Christianity today says the hip is the strongest joint. A boss knuckle of bone claps deep into a hollow of the pelvic skeleton. Y'all know I ain't right this. It's like good stuff there. It buried beneath layers of the thickest and most powerful muscle in the body. There are four main groups of these, and all of them are active when walking. Two groups were the greatest actions on the hip, and two groups were the greatest actions on the knee. The process of taking a step involves countless adjustments, each muscle continuously testing itself against the strength of all the others. Each movement must take into action uneven terrain, movement of the trunk, and the balance of kinetics of the leg. Why did God pick the hip because if he were to dislocate any other portion of his body he would never walk different God wants us to walk different God wants us to live different God wants us to be different in the world he wants us to walk a little bit different other than that I wish I really knew why God picked the hip was there another reason and I turned to scripture and I started digging. Genesis 24 and 2 says, Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he owned, please place your hand under my thigh. Okay, that's one part of your hip. Revelations 19 and 6 says, and his robe on his thigh, and on his robe and on his thigh, he, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Judges 3 and 21 says, Ehud stretched out his left hand, took the sword in his, took from his right thigh a sword and thrust it into the king's belly. So this dude here, it's a place where you carry weapons. It's a place where there's a sign of covenant. The hip is a placement, is a place for the covenant. So what, what Abraham was saying was, look, this is just a sign. This is back in the day. They were different, obviously. I ain't going to touch no man's thigh. Somebody swear to me. No, I'm good. I'm good. But it was a place of covenant. The sword rested there. And it was a place of battle. It's where everything, it really holds us up. It's where people would fight. It's where we would make covenant with God. See, God made a covenant with Jacob as he renames him. He dislocates him and weakens him. See, Jacob was no slouch. This dude was a fighter. He has never given up. But when God has a plan for your life, you can't remain the same. Change will happen and your life will be altered. You see, dislocation is different than any other injury in the body. See, dislocation, you're just, dis you're, dislocation is the joint. 
my goodness, I can't get it out. The significance of a dislocation is that you're still connected to the body. You're still connected. Go watch some videos on people getting their shoulders put back in place. It's not pretty. The arm's still there. I'd almost rather be amputated, I think, because it just looks terrible. But there's something significant about that. Sometimes God puts us in situations where we feel dislocated, but we have to remember that we're not alone. We're still connected to the body of Christ. We're still connected. We can still draw strength. Even though God may have us on the backside, he can have us where we feel like that we're unseen and that nobody sees us, that we have no purpose, that we're left alone. But we have to remember that we're still connected to the body. There is a reason when you feel alone and you're hurt and you're questioning life. You know what that reason is? It's because God is a, that's a sign that God is working on you. That there's a dislocation happening in your plate, in your life, for God's purpose to be fulfilled. It doesn't make sense, but remember, the lion is not safe, but he is good. He will take the pain and use it for good. He will take the isolation and turn it to strength. He is a good God. Though the wrong all the times is not God, and the unfair treatment that you get by other people is not God, God has designed that, and he takes it, and he uses us. And he uses that to say, you know what, I'm going to turn that around for your good. I'm going to turn that around and use that in your life. How many times have we questioned, God, why am I going through this? Why am I going through this? You see, this is when we have to pull from what we read in the beginning of this message of who God is. And we've got to pull from the truth of who we are in God. And we've got to overlook the, the, the feeling of being hidden. And we've got to overlook the feeling of being depressed and being weary. And we've got to hold on to the word of God that we're not forsaken. That in this pain there is a door of hope that I'm going to walk through. You see, the pattern has been in place from the beginning. The pattern of humanity, it's, it's, nothing's new under the sun. If you take time to study and you take time to see the pattern of life, you'll know that many people have fallen. Many people have gotten back up again. And that's what we're going to do living for God. You see, David kind of taps in as he prophesies about Jesus coming in Psalms 22, 14 through 18. It says, I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a post shred, and my tongue sticks to the jaws of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death, for dogs encompass me. My company of evildoers encircle me. They have pierced my hands and, and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and from my clothing they cast lots. You see, David was pouring out from his heart, but he was really prophesying of Jesus. He was prophesying of the life that Jesus would live. And then they would beat him on the cross. Why? For our, for our dislocation. For our sin. For our things that look ugly. Jesus would be prophesied. See, the cycle just keeps going. And we've got to hold on to Jesus. We've got to look at Jesus and say, you know what, God? I trust you. I trust you. I hold on to you. You see, we're living in tough times. Let's just be honest. I turn into a prepper, okay? I'm just going to be real. I'm gardening. Like, I done bought a pressure canner. My father-in-law, you know, he's buying like 4,000 years of food and stuff. So, like, we're, we're prepping. And maybe it's not coming. Maybe it is. I'd rather have it than not have it. But there's something I've learned about prepping and canning. You see, <laughs> the process of canning, like beef stew, I love beef stew. 
And uh, the process of canning beef stew is you get all your ingredients, you wash it, you cut it up, and you stick it in the jar, and then and you kind of clean the jar, and you put it in your pressure cooker. And I haven't done this yet, but I'm about to do it this week. I took a vacation just to do this. I'm serious. <laughs> I'm not joking. I'm just being, being honest. But you clean everything, and you stick it in this pressure cooker. Then there's a lot of heat that's applied and pressure. And, like, this thing can blow up on you if you're not, you're not you know, you don't have it tightened down. <laughs> so, but anyway, as I was watching the Google and the YouTube on this, you got to ensure the lids are sealed, and then you can go keep the food in a dark pantry. And as the woman said, you know, stick, stick the jars in the dark pantry, I started thinking, why? Why can't it leave it out? Like, why? And then she says, if you leave it out in the sun, it's going to lose its nutrients, and it can go bad. If you leave it out in the light, you leave it out where the sun can get to it, it's, it's not going to stay good long. Why the dark room? Why the isolation? Why? Because you know what? Many times in our life, we go through the preparation. We make up our mind and we get a dream. We get a word from God. And everything starts going right and God's working in us. And we make it through the test and the trial. And all of a sudden, we think things are about to open up for us. And guess where God puts us? In the dark room. Why? Because it's not your time. He doesn't want you to lose the nutrients that he just placed inside of you. There are those who have been waiting to be used in the darkness for some time. But I've come to prophesy to you tonight that the last move of God that's coming for our world is from people that's being hidden in the dark and you feel like you're all alone, that you're forgotten and God has forgot about your ministry and your calling. And I'm telling you tonight that God is going to pull you out when it's time and he's going to open you up and there's going to be so much nutrients from the story that God's placed in your life that the world is going to be changed and the people in your life and your family is going to be changed because you held on. You held on through the process. You held on through the trial. And I'm telling you, God's going to move. Would somebody receive that word right now? I'm telling you, the world is needing your testimony. The world needs to know that an addict can be free. The world needs to know that broken things can live. And it doesn't matter the process or how long you have to wait. God is going to use your testimony. God is going to use the pain. He's going to use the dislocation of you waiting. And he's going to impact this world that we live in. There is a harvest that is ready. There is a harvest that is ripe. Hold on for your time. Hold on for your time. God is going to use you. Thank you, Jesus. Don't let the enemy lie to you. He says you're not called. He says you're overlooked. He says you'll never be free. He says it's just different now. You're just ruined. The mistakes you made, you're just different. The heartache that you went through, the rejection you felt. How many of you can say that honestly? You know what? I've been there. I just don't feel I just. I'm just not the same person anymore. That is a lie from the enemy. Yeah, we might be different because God's dislocated something in our life and he's going to use it for his glory. I wish somebody would get up a holy indignation in him and say, you know what, enemy, devil, get thee behind me. Get thee behind me because I'm going forward. I'm holding on to the call and to the purpose in my life. I don't care if I'm dislocated. I don't care if I walk different. God can use me because God is a canning expert. 
We've got to look back on the pattern that God set in Jacob's life. It was unfair odds. He was mistreated. He had mistakes. He hurt his family. It sounds like they're telling my story. He returns to the land that God promised. He promised his great-grandfather Abraham as Abraham would take that step of faith and just says, go where I tell you. Didn't even give him a map. Just said, go. How many of you would go on a trip and you don't even have the address and GPS? Just go. Okay, this dude takes this step. And the first place where he builds an altar is a place called Shechem. If you keep reading in Genesis 33, 18 through 20, it says, And Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan, on his way from Padaram. And he camped before the city. And from the sons of Hamar, Shechem's father, he, he bought for 100 pieces of money the piece of the land in which he had pitched his tent. There he erected an altar and called it El Elohi Israel, meaning God, the God of Israel. You see, the place where he erected the altar, he also dug a well there. And if you read in Jesus' ministry about the Samaritan woman, guess where that well was? Guess where he gave her water? Jacob's well. The significance of you making the choice today will impact the people that are coming behind you. Your children are going to drink from the well that you're digging today. Your children are going to reap the harvest. My God, they're going to they're be able to walk on the path that's straight and narrow because you blazed the trail. Because you held on and you might have been dislocated. But I'm telling you that there's people behind you. And there's your children. And there's your family that God can use. If you make the decision in your life tonight that says, God, I don't care what mistakes I've made. I don't care. God, I'm going to hold on to you. I'm going to wrestle with God in prayer. I'm going to hold on until I see God do something in my life. You see, it's your choice tonight. It's your choice. Will you seek after God or will you continue the cycle of sin? Will you finally say enough is enough and say, God, you know what? I may be dislocated. I may have the hurt and I may have pain. But God, tonight, tonight is a night that I hold on and I do not let go. I do not forget that God has called me. I do not forget that God is going to save my family that's lost. I'm not going to forget that the word of God spoken over my life will come to pass. We're going down to the river.